Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. That's our theme song, Never My Love. Uh, the, the title of our series is My Love. That's what we're talking about through the book of Song of Solomon. And um, if you want to watch a funny video, you can watch the video of that song on YouTube. It's hilarious. Like these guys smiling there in suits doing this. It's like so 60s retro. It's awesome. But anyway, um, but we are in the midst of this series on Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, just to recap, is a book that is full of passion. It is a book written by Solomon to one of his wives. He had 700. Um, and it's about a relationship he had. That, that's not advisable, by the way. God never asked him to do that, just so you know. That was not like, God's like, yay, keep having more. That's not what happened. And it actually ended up being very problematic. But Solomon wrote this book. And idiots, you know, sinful idiots like Solomon. He was a wise man, but then he didn't apply his wisdom and did dumb things. And we do the same thing. And there's grace for Solomon. There's grace for us. God loves Solomon. He loves us. And he asks us to live for him. But this book, Solomon wrote, and it was a book of passion. It's a book of a couple, man and a wife, where at this point it's somebody probably were arranged to be married because that's the way things were done back then. And story you hear about, take me to my father's house and my mother's chamber. And so they're talking about their families. And so, but, but it's their passion on paper. No holds barred. Like, like it is no hold, like they, they just tell it like it is and it is written down and it's beautiful. And God says it's beautiful for people to come together the way that I brought Adam and to be a part of my creative process and to love one another. And even God uses the example of the bride as his number one way to describe the church in a relationship with him. And we talked about this last week, but when we get into these verses, these verses are very awkward to us. And the reason they're awkward to us is because we've allowed the world to define the sexual ethos and sexuality in our world today instead of God. We, we were uncomfortable with the idea of sex, and even the church long ago, they wouldn't even let people read this book, to be honest with you. You know, my wife was joking this morning, and as we were going through, and she looked at me, and she said, hey, do you, I need a knife. Do you have a knife? I'm like, uh, a knife? No, I don't have a knife. She said, I'll go get one in the kitchen. Um, I need it because we're going to do the story with the little kids about Solomon when he cut the baby up and put, you know, put the pieces all over the empire. That didn't actually happen, but there were two women fighting over a baby in the Bible, and she's like, you know, we'll just, I'm going to show them how to cut a baby doll in half, and then we're going to talk about that. Like, and then she goes, I'm just kidding. I need, to, I need to cut some donuts in half. Like, that's what she needed it for. But see, and what she said is actually some truth. We're afraid of passages. We're afraid to talk about hard things. We're afraid to talk about the hard things that God isn't afraid to talk about if you've read the Bible. He's not afraid to talk about the difficult things in life, the difficult circumstances, how he uses difficult things, the curse of our world, the hope that we have. He's not afraid to go no holds barred on us. We're the ones that are afraid. We're the ones that don't want to read, don't want to respect what God has to say, and then just make it up on our own and figure it up, and then come to God and go, I, I didn't know. He's like, well, I kind of laid everything out for you about how this is supposed to work. And even in this book of Song of Solomon, we see him laying it out. We see this couple passionately wanting each other, but they're waiting. And see, that's what we're going to look at this week. That you see this phrase in Song of Solomon that happens over and over that says, not until the appropriate time. 
Okay, if you really want to make somebody mad, really, just drive them batty, you know how to do that the best way? Make them wait. Right? There is nothing more offensive in our culture than making someone wait. After you've told them, you will do something. Try it with a kid, right? Little kid, you're like, we're going to go get ice cream. Tell them it like as soon as they wake up in the morning. As soon as they wake up, they're sitting down and go, we're going to get ice cream today. And, and see what the rest of your day is like. Just see how the rest of your day goes. Because for the rest of the day, you know what question you're going to get? Is it time? Can we go get ice cream? Why don't we have ice cream? I want ice cream. You're going to sit them down for lunch. You're going to put lunch in front of them. And they're going to go, I don't want this. I want ice cream. You said we're going to get ice cream. And then you're going to put dinner down in front of them. And they're going to whine and cry because I don't want this. You said you have it. And that's who we are. And see, what God has done to us in a good way is he's given us hope that there's things that are coming that are going to be glorious, but you have to wait on me. You have to wait until the appropriate time when I say it's the appropriate time, and you have to trust me as your heavenly father, just like a little kid has to trust their earthly parents to fulfill what they have said in their time, not the little kid's time. We do not like a God like that, which is what the cultures in history have made other gods, <laughs> idols that we can control, that I can go and pray to and ask that God to do what I want that God to do on my time. And when things aren't going the way I want them to go, I go to him and say, well, you said this would happen, and so make it happen now. We even have false teachers all over the church, everywhere, all over the world in Christianity, telling people they can name it and claim it. They can call things from God on their time when they want it because God said so in Scripture. It's like your friend's kids coming over, your kid telling them, hey, my parents said we were going to get ice cream, and that little friend looking all the time, no, you can demand ice cream now. You can call ice cream. We can actually leave the house right now. I'll show you. I know where there's an ice cream place. I'll walk you down the street by yourself out in the middle. Is it good luck? With, like, and we're, oh, really? Well, then I'm not going to wait on my parents. I'm just going to go get ice cream. I got my own money. I, I got my piggy bank. I'll smash it. We'll just go get ice cream. Well, because they told us that I could have ice cream. So they're not going to be mad at me if I go get my own ice cream because I could have ice cream. Do you see how this works? And this couple, even though you read about all their passion and they're talking about getting in each other's privates, literally, and they're laying all that out, they keep saying, but not until the appropriate time. Not until the appropriate time. Not until it's appropriate time. And the appropriate time, according to God, is when two people, two families come together, they give this couple in exchange in marriage, the husband comes and gets the wife in Jewish marriage, at the, at the father's house, the mother and father's house, and take the, the wife to the house of his father where he's probably put a house on the back where the party's going to be. They're going to have sex to consummate the marriage in the back part of the house while everyone, and then they come out and everybody's cheering it on. Wow! They weren't afraid of sex. They weren't afraid to talk about it. They weren't afraid to know what was going on in the back room because they understood that God gave it as such a beautiful gift in its appropriate context, in its appropriate time, and he even gave us an entire book of the Bible that lays this out to show him, show us our heart, or his heart that he has for us and the heart we should have for him. So let's dive in. Song of Solomon. 
He says, this is how the book starts out, Solomon's finest song. This means it's the finest of the, he wrote over a thousand songs. This is the finest. He says, the woman says, oh, that he would kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than. And we looked at that last week. I mean, this book starts out with, we're making out. That's how the book starts out. Like, like I want to make out. And, and, and so then we, we dive in further. We looked at that last week. Well, you can see that there's a appropriate kissing and an inappropriate, right? A holy kiss we looked at. And we looked at the fact that we need to have our delight in Christ and that God himself delights in his people that have surrendered to him, that have agreed to marry him, to be in a relationship with him. And he goes on in chapter 7 and it says this, 2-7, we ended here last week. Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you, the wild does of the field do not stir up or awaken love and to me that the does and the gazelles know the appropriate time they don't just have sex all the time you see in the animal kingdom animals go into heat right and 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 then the other animals know that it's time there's an appropriate time in human that's not necessarily the case. <laughs> now, in fertility, you can do fertility studies and know that there's better times if you're trying to reproduce life, like the animal kingdom talks about. God's given us the ability to not have just an appropriate time, but any time that we want to express love to another person, we can do that appropriately as God said to do it in his time. But this knows that if we're going to have a conversation like this, if we're feeling this, we need to be sure we keep telling ourselves, wait. <laughs> and this is where so many marriage, the beauty of courtship and marriage, is it's designed to be this thing that acts almost like a, like a wind tunnel. I mean, you begin to spin together and spin together, and it becomes this glorious moment that at the marriage ceremony, at that time, there's this celebration, this consummation of the two becoming one flesh and producing life, giving the opportunity to produce another life in that union, which God wants life. The beauty of that picture is exactly how God designed things to work. And she's saying right here, they're saying, young women of Jerusalem, I charge you. I'm feeling it. I get what you go through. Don't awaken love until it's time. What happens love before it's time? We'll see in a minute that God has grace and forgiveness and that he sent his son at the appropriate time so that we could be restored back to a right relationship with him. We go on and we see this in Acts. We looked at this last week. When Jesus finished his earthly ministry, he was resurrected. He was on the earth for 40 days alive after he was dead. And they said, so when they had come together, they asked him, these are the, the uh, apostles, the disciples, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Is now the time that you're going to bring back Jerusalem the way it's supposed to be? You're going to make the Jews, your people rule the world? Is now the time? Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know times or periods. Underline that in your Bible. Write it on your mirror at home. Put it on, get a tattoo maybe. I don't know. I'm not a tattoo person. If you are, get a tattoo of this and put it on you. Okay? Because this is what most of Christianity argues about all the time. 
Well, now that President Trump's the president, oh, it must be the end of the world. Well, now Biden's the president. It's the end of the world. Like, he says you're not going to know. That doesn't mean you can't see the signs of, wow, I think it's getting closer, maybe, possibly. It doesn't mean that we don't recognize. He's saying you can't know. And all we've been doing since this time is still trying to figure out. We buy books. I remember you guys, most of you, some of you not even born. I remember when Y2K happened and the books flying off the shelf with end times. The end is coming in the new sanctuary. I mean, these guys were making a fortune off of you and shame. And to say, I have the answer. Do you know that most of those guys that wrote those books are still pastors? They're still preaching and they were wrong and they were false prophets? And they've never been held accountable for it? They said that, well, it came and gone. Y2K is gone. Like, if we went through, it's been 20 years, we're still here. Like, Jesus said, you're not going to know. That's not the, that's not this couple. The reason this couple keeps saying not until it's time is because they're not focused. They're focused on another. They're focused on, I want to love you. You want to love me. There's a relationship. Whenever it happens, it happens. I just want to be sure I'm ready. It goes on, Jesus says, you're not going to know because the Father has said it by his own authority. In other words, you don't get to say when you go get ice cream. It's by the Father's authority. And then he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He says, look, you're not going to know, but you are going to receive the power to live your life and to be prepared for when that time comes. You're going to receive the ability to get the Holy Spirit to help you be obedient to God go through this as you wait for the consummation of the when I come back. I'm going to give you a gift to help you. I'm going to give you a helpmate to help you walk with me in the mess that you're in while you wait for the appropriate. That's what Jesus is saying. Then he goes on, he says, after he said this, he was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. He's gone. The end of the book of Solomon ends like this. The end of the book of Song of Songs ends with, with like them being separated. I'm longing for you. Well, I thought you were married. I thought you were together. Listen, you're going to find out one day. You're going to be, what happens? You get busy with life and good luck trying to even see each other half the time. Because life consumes you. You have to make time to come together. It's difficult. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I'm going to send someone to help you because it is difficult. You know, look at this. There was a time when Jesus made some people wait when he was 12. Look at this. They go to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. Okay? That's what all Jews do. Three times a year, you travel to Jerusalem if you're a faithful Jewish family. They travel to Jerusalem, they go. Jesus stays behind. Joseph and Mary travel forward, and then they realize we lost Jesus. We lost the Son of God. <laughs> That's what they realize. And they look around the whole family caravan. They the entire family because they would all travel together. Everything would shut down and these families would travel to Jerusalem to worship. The family, now they're even more embarrassed because now you're calling, hey, is, uh, is Jesus at your house? Like, wait, you lost Jesus? 
yeah, but he's the son of God. We're not real concerned. But we are a little concerned. Like, travel back, and they look the whole city over, and they can't find him. And then, after three days, they go, maybe we should go look in the temple, because he's like the son of God. And that's exactly what, why were you searching for me? In other words, he asked them, why were you searching for me? Because you were embarrassed that you lost me? Because you really care about me? Like, because you really want to be sure the Son of God fulfills his mission on the earth? Like, why were you searching for me? He asked them, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? In other words, I know you've been searching for me for like three days. I've heard, like, I, I'm God, I know things. And I didn't come find you because I'm in my father's house spending time with him. You should have come here first. <laughs> says, but they did not understand. And your father, you didn't come with us when we all left. It's your fault. Like, then he goes on. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And people. Jesus went back with his parents and he waited for the next 18 years until his heavenly father said it's time to go. He was at the temple teaching, and they were amazed, and they offered him the Harvard education of his day, which was at the temple. They offered that to Jesus, to his parents, and said, we're amazed by your son. We'll keep him. And Jesus said, nah, it's not time yet. I'm going home. I'm going to learn some carpentry. I'm going to hang out with my parents, and I'm just going to wait until my father says it's time. Oh, by the way, I need to fulfill the Old Testament, which means I have to wait until I'm 30, because you're not supposed to become a priest until you're 30. So Jesus went home and he waited in Nazareth. He has the most important mission on the face of the years. He's waiting. How is he waiting? Person to the Sabbath. That's all he was doing. And then it says, now the people were waiting expectantly. And all of them were debating in their minds whether John the Baptist might be the Messiah. This is later in that chapter, in chapter three. And as he began his ministry, Jesus was about 30 years old. In other words, the people are expecting, like, we're waiting for the Messiah. God's going to come save us from the Romans. He's got to come deliver us. Maybe John's the deliverer. John's like, I'm not the deliverer. No, no, no. There's one coming after me. So then Jesus, Jesus doesn't fulfill their expectations, so they crucify him. Yeah, you're really not as pretty as the one we were waiting for. Um, we're done with you. We'll move on. goes on, it says this in Song of Solomon, young women of Jerusalem, I charge you by the, giz by the gazelles, this is what I read a minute ago, and the wild does of the field, don't stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. Let's go back to the beginning of the story of how we got into this mess. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals, and the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say, wait, did he really say you couldn't? Then he goes on. He says, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. By the way, he never said you couldn't touch it. This couple, he didn't say you couldn't touch one another. He didn't say you couldn't show affection for one another. He said, don't take it to level. <laughs> Stop. That's what he told them. Then he goes on and he says, 
No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, how in the world are you going to know if this one's really the one you can spend your life with if you don't have sex you get married? How are you going to know he can fulfill you if you don't have sex with him before marriage? I mean, you may be sexually incompatible. So you need to try it out first. It won't kill you. It won't cause problems in your relationship down the road. It won't break trust. It won't hurt anything. It's the same lies we believe. And God is saying, please listen to me. I've designed you a certain way. I've designed you how I've designed you for a reason. So that I can show my glory. Even the broken places of your life. I'm going to redeem those. And I'm going to use those to show people how I can restore. I mean, God is... He has given them everything and they can't take their eyes off the one thing they're not supposed to have. It's the same with this couple coming back to, oh, I want you, I want you, I want you. They can't get their eyes off anything, but I want you, I want you, I want you. Reminding themselves, ah, we got to back up for a second. Not time yet. He goes on and it says, in fact, God knows when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, They're trying to keep you. He's trying to keep you from being happy. He's trying to keep you from experiencing the full love that you could have. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. Well, we did it once. Let's just keep doing it. This is awesome. Man, I've never experienced anything like that before. I'm in. Again and again and again. And you're eating the death of your heart, the death of your relationship if you don't bring God back into it, which they don't do because here's what that leads to. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She gave it some to her husband who was with her and he didn't say, whoa, whoa, wait. He ate it. Oh, by the way, he was watching, standing there watching all this happen. He wasn't stopping it. Then it goes on. It says their eyes of both of them were opened and were naked. Interesting that that's what the Bible says immediately. The Bible says that recognized was that they were uncovered. And it's interesting that God says in the marriage relationship, I want you to come together uncovered, exposed to one another under a covenant of marriage as an act of worship before me so that I can clothe you and clothe this new union that I'm doing. Goes on as So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. We always try to cover it up. We try to make it look better than it is. Oh, it's no big deal. We can just do this. We'll do that. They didn't seek God in any of this. Adam named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And look at what the Lord does. In the midst of their sin, in the midst of their disobedience, in the midst of what they did, it says, clothing out of skins for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. He could have kicked him out of the garden and been like naked, Gone. Good luck. Didn't. He clothed them. He cared for them. He he drew them back to himself. He told them there were consequences to the world now, and the world that we live in still bear those same consequences. God do what he's had to do. It's song two, verse eight says, Listen, my love is the woman speaking. My love is approaching. Here he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My love is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, he is standing behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My love calls to me. 
This is Christ to his church, that Jesus is calling people to him, calling people out and saying, I, I love you, I care about you. It's not time for us to be together fully yet, but, but I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to know that, that you're valuable to me. And this woman recognizes that her love thinks that way about her and that she thinks the same way about him. Then it goes on, it says, arise, my darling. This is the man's response. Come away, my beautiful one, for now the winter is past. The rain is ended and gone. The blossoms appear in the countryside. The time of singing has come, and the turtle dove's cooing is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs. The blossoming vines give off their fragrance. Arise, my darling. Come away, my beautiful one. My dove in the cleft of the rock, in the crevices of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. He's saying, I want you to know that I love you too. It's just not time yet. And he's saying, there's going to come a day when I'm going to call you to come away with me. We're told that Christ is going to come back and call us to come away. The time's not yet. And he goes on and it says this. 2 Corinthians, Paul kind of alludes to this idea of being clothed, that we're naked the appropriate time. He says, therefore, we do not give up. Even though it's not the appropriate time and we're struggling to wait, we don't give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day for our momentary light affliction, having to wait is producing for us an abundance or an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For we know that if our temporary earthly dwelling is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with human hands. Indeed, we groan in this body, desiring to put on our dwelling from heaven, since we are clothed. We will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent or this body, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up in life. And the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit. Amen. We are betrothed. We have been betrothed to God. There is a down payment made on our behalf, and someday we will be wed with God, brought into the family with Him. No longer in a sexual union, but in an eternal, deeper union than what is seen, the outer body. In an intimate union, deeper than the physical. The physical shows what's intimate. Goes on, it says this in Romans. For while we were still helpless... At the appointed time, the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person. That means, yes, right? I don't need anybody to die for me. Oh, that's kind of unattractive. <laughs> you think you're all that? Though for a good person, perhaps some might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. You don't deserve ice cream, but I love you. 
We're going to go get ice cream just because I want to show you I love you. And I'm going to tell you, you don't deserve ice cream. This is a treat. This is a gift I'm giving to you because I And then I'm going to see what your response is. I want more ice cream. We're going to get ice cream tomorrow. Blah, blah. Or do you go, wow, thanks, Dad. Thanks, Mom. Thanks for loving me even though I'm an idiot. I'm grateful. What's our response? Is it one of relationship and intimacy? Or do we want our time? Then there's this moment in verse 15 where the women respond. It's probably more than one. It's not just the woman, but there's debate over who. But this is what it said. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, for our vineyards are in bloom. So remember, she has said, I want you. He has just said, I'm going to come get you. And now everyone declares together, but be careful. Watch out for the foxes. These foxes want to sneak into the vineyard and steal the fruit, steal what's supposed to be given, steal what's supposed to be used for the wedding ceremony because they would have wine. Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine for a wedding. First miracle. The foxes come in and steal the wine. You don't have the celebration. So you better watch out for those things that are going to come in and steal what's designed to be for the other person. Because there's a lot of thieves out there. There's a lot of foxes. And foxes are nocturnal. They come at night. When you're not watching, when you're sleeping, when you least expect it. And so you got to have protection. you got to be aware. You might have to build some fencing. You may have to have some... Pr- Just know that there's a battle going on in the vineyard. Hebrews says this, Hebrews 4, for the word of God is living. If we want to battle well with God, it says the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as a separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, not even the foxes. But all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet he never let the foxes come in. He never let his vineyard be ruined. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace. Not works. You don't approach and say, look at what all I've done to earn your love. You approach and say, here I am, naked. This is me, and you said you wanted me, and this is all I got. It's an all. Response. You can approach me like that with boldness. You can enter the chamber. You can know that I'm coming for you and you can approach me boldly. Here I am, not for what you want, but to know that I will respond. I love you. I did this for you. And he says, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper, look at this, time. I don't get to tell him. Now, him to do. Guys, that's the hardest. Nothing that tests us more than being time. There's angry, saying, time is now my time, and you will 
you. We rebel against that. It's to be told that. Time. I've done what's right, and now it's my time. Leave me alone. I want our time. I want it to always be our time. I want us together. Do what I want to do. Marriage. So many people see God that way. They don't see the grace. They don't see that he's inviting into goes on, 1 Timothy says, first of all, then I encourage that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings It's what God says to do. Sorry, your appropriate authority, you don't get wait for four years. He goes on, it's that thing on social media, tranquil. We want everybody to know that I am man. I And God's like, to me, instead of to you, it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity. There's one marriage. There's not two. And he says, for there is, and he goes on and he says, Christ Jesus himself. For, for there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity. Christ Jesus himself Human who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at First Peter five. Anyway, you younger men be subjective to the elders, and all you and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. There's nothing more humiliating than to be stripped naked. Right? Unless you're prideful and you've been working and you want to be naked and show everybody. Which God says, don't do that. And God said, I designed marriage to be that place of intimacy and trust for that to happen because it's a picture of this. And he says, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your care on him because he cares about you. That's what marriage is supposed to be. Two people casting their care on one another to God. It's a triangle. The two become one new flesh unit. And then they are before God together on things. Jason's fond of saying that he learned through counseling that one of the greatest things that you can do is to ask yourself this question. If it's not good for my spouse, it's probably not good for me. I need to ask that of myself on a regular basis. If it's not good for her, if it's not good for him, maybe it's not good for us. Maybe it is. Maybe they're fighting. Maybe we need to go before God and say, honey, honey, we need to pray because we don't know how to do it because we're not one right now. And I don't want to make a decision saying, well, I'm going to do this and you're going to submit. Well, I'm going to do this because I just have to sacrifice and love you. Like, no, we go before the Lord. 
He goes on, he says, be serious. In other words, if you know that he cares about you, be serious. Be alert. Why be alert? Because there's foxes running around wanting to eat your vineyard. <laughs> and then he says, your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion. Roaring lions. We have the lion of the tribe of Judah on our side, the real lion, and he's around roaring at everybody. He died on a cross. The devil's the one going around trying to make everybody fearful and panic and, oh, so that your emotions and your actions will be controlled by fear and panic. And God says, I want you to be controlled by love and grace and mercy and justice. He goes on, he says, he's looking for anyone he can devour. He's like a little fox wanting to eat all the grapes. Resist him and be firm in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. You know how many couples will tell me, oh, you just don't understand what we're going through. You don't understand him. You don't understand her. Oh, yeah, actually, I do. I've read the Bible. You're a sinner. She's a sinner. He's a sinner. You're self-prideful. You need to be humbled. You need to give up. For That starts in the local church, and then that translates into marriage. Yeah, I get it. And you don't want to die for that person. You don't want to lay down your life for that person. I get it. And you have all a list of reasons why you shouldn't lay down your life for that person because look at everything they've done to me. And you have all this list of reasons, even maybe why you are laying down your life for this person, but you're ready to give up, but you haven't even told them, the other person that you're ready and serving them all the time, trying to get them to do what you want them to do, to manipulate and control them. What did Jesus do? How long is Jesus' list of reasons why he shouldn't have to die for us? I think it's pretty long. And yet he still gave his life to communicate that I will take anyone. He goes on and says this in Song of Solomon, my love is mine. So after they have this conversation, the woman comes back and she says... Know that my love is mine and I am his. He feeds among the lilies before the day breaks and the shadows flee. Turn to me, my love, and be like a gazelle or a young stag. Whenever the words divided mountains are mentioned here in this passage, it's exactly what you think it is. It's the woman's breast. That it is. It and she's saying. I know that I'm his, I know he's mine, and I know that someday that, that, that he's going to have full authority over me. He's going to climb and have his way with me, and I'm ready. This is in the Bible. Did you know that? <laughs> like, this is the picture of what we're, we're like, God, I'm yours, whatever you want, just... This is such a beautiful picture of how it's supposed to work, but not until the appropriate time. It goes on. Look at this. She goes deeper. She says, in my bed at night, I sought the one I love. She's in her bed going, oh. This, for you men out there, real quick, those of you listening online, don't text girls at, between the hours of 11 and 6, 11 p.m. and 6 a.m. Women are smart enough to know that the reason you're texting and desperate. That's the way it looks when you like text them some heartfelt thing between like 11 p.m. and 6 a.m. Like, oh, I just want you to wait until 8, like when I'm up. Like, 
Like, it's appropriate relationship to talk that late. You know what I mean? And, and, and she knows both. There's the, but he says, in my bed, I sought the one I love. I sought him, but I couldn't find him. She's like, oh, he's not in my bed. He shouldn't be in my bed, but I want him in my bed. He says, I will arise now and go about the city through plazas. One I love, but I did not find him. The guards who go about the city found me. I asked them, have you seen the one I love? <laughs> They're asking her, like, why are you out in the middle of the night wandering around? I'm looking for the one I love. Do you realize that that's the way people should see our relationship with Christ? That as we wander through this world, it seems like you just have peace and you're wandering and you're searching and you're seeking. What is, what is, you're different. What is, I'm looking for the one I love. I'm waiting for my love to come. Jesus, I'm, I, she's giving a testimony. She's saying the one I love. By the way, she's, Many scholars believe she's having a dream about this, right? She's in her bed. She didn't actually, we don't know. And then it says, I just, I found the one I So she passes the guards. She finds the, I held on to him and would not let go until I brought him to my mother's house. Uh-oh. It's, don't, not till it's time. And then it says, to the chamber of the one who conceived me. What do they do in the chamber where conception happens? Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles of the wild, those of the field, do not stir up a love or awaken love until the, she's like, I drug him into this. And he said no. I wish there were more men who said no. Would have said no to Eve in the Garden of Eden, we wouldn't be in this mess. God came through Adam, not Eve. Had Adam been Christ for Eve and said, you sinned, but I'll die for you, we wouldn't probably be in the mess we're in. But instead, Adam said, oh, I'll sin too. Oh, let's hide from God. And the story has continued until the second Adam came, Jesus, and said, no, 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 I'll die. I'll tell you what you're doing is wrong, and then I'll pay the price. That's this man. She drags him into the chambers like, we're doing it now. And he's like, nope. I'm out of here. And she says, guys, don't awaken. I tried to get love to awaken before it's time. And he said, no. That's the kind of man you want. That's the kind of guy you're looking for. I want a God that doesn't just do what people tells him to do, but that he coordinates everything so that we work together, and that's the God we have. And I can drag God into my chamber and tell him what to do, and he's going to be, no. It's not time, Matt. You don't get that. I love you. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> and there's nothing more offensive than that to us, right? Because, well, you died for me and I have grace and it's not time. Luke 5 says this, but the news about him spread even more and large crowds would come together to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Like this woman going out and seeking in the middle of the night, the disciples were always having to go find Jesus in the middle of the night because they didn't know where he went. They were like, have you seen Jesus? Like they get up and he was gone. And they'd be like, well, where's his normal spots where he goes to seek the intimacy with him? and see if we can find him. <laughs> Jesus is seeking after the intimacy of his heavenly father in his human form because there was a disconnect there until the cross. 
It's the same thing we feel. God, he's done everything. He's our high priest. He went through everything we did. Look at what 1 Thessalonians 5 says. It says this, about the times and the seasons. Brothers, sisters, you do not need anything written to you. You need 50 books at Y2K telling you what the future is. You don't need to worry. You yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, I love you, I just want you to be happy, I just want you to be comfortable, then sudden destruction comes on them like labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in the dark for this day to overtake, to overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of the light and sons of the day light to go into the darkness. You don't have to be afraid of the darkness. You can go out and catch foxes in the middle of the night because I'm with you. You don't have to be afraid of the foxes. You're to go in darkness. Declare, she goes declare her love for the man she's looking for. It goes on, it says this, we do not belong to the night of the darkness, so then we must not sleep like the rest. We need to rest. We need to sleep, but not like everybody else does. Don't do it like everybody else does. Do it like God do it, like this couple says to do it. And then he says, like the rest, but we must stay awake and be serious. Jesus said it this way. Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. This is on the night when he was getting ready to die for us. He was getting ready to lay down his life and to consummate the relationship he said, sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. In other words, don't sleep. We just read a passage where he said, be serious, don't sleep. Be focused on what's coming. That's what this couple is. This cu she's having sleeping. You want to know why? Because she knows what's coming. And she's excited about it. And she should be. Away, going a little further, he felt afraid. Judgment of power. I will, but as I want you to do this, and I want it now. But I recognize that we made an agreement when we created humanity that this is the way it was going to go down. And so not the human will that I'm thinking of in my mind. No, 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 no. We submit together as the Trinity and the Holy Family to what you and we have said we will do. Wow. Where are Christians like this? Then he came to the disciples and found them. He asked Peter, so you couldn't stay awake with me for one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The foxes won't come. The spirit is willing, Peter, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. Recognize the weakness of your flesh, and you better have people to hold you accountable, and you better have people in your life that will help you not do the things of the flesh, not want comfort and security and peace and safety and all the stuff that, that we think really means I'm walking with God if I have it. No. Deeper intimacy. He goes on in verse 6 of chapter 3. This is the narrator speaking and says, What is this coming down from the wilderness like columns of scented with myrrh and frankincense from every fragrant powder royal litter by 60 warriors from the mighty of Israel? Whoa! 
It's this moment of like, he's coming. Like, got the chair out that the that what what they're talking about that is royal litter is that chair they carry kings in and like the people around him he's got these warriors it's like oh something's big happening here like he's coming and the narrator's like there's coming a time when he's going to be coming (laughs) comes down it says this revelation one says the revelation of jesus christ is the last book of the bible that god take place He sent it and signified it through his angel to his slave John who testified to God's word and to the testimony about Jesus Christ in all he saw. The one who reads this is blessed and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it are blessed because the time is near. This couple is waiting. They're like, we're blessed this moment together because the time is near. You know what our problem is? We keep looking at God and saying, you you, The time isn't near. You're never going to do, you're never, he's already said that we're going to be with him. And guess what? Your life's not very long. So it's really near. Your time's really near. Like the average person, depending on male or females, somewhere in their 70s, you're going to live. That's it. 70 years. In light of eternity, that's a joke. That's like a crumb on the floor of your, like, kitchen. It's nothing. And yet God says, I care about that crumb. I care about that time. He goes on and says this in Song of Solomon. Later in chapter 8, this is after marriage, after they have a wedding in chapter 5, after they start to feel the disconnect of, we thought the wedding would fix everything, and yet there's still this longing, there's this yearning because we still live in the earth, and oh, that's right, you still have a bunch of other wives, and eh, it's... I thought this was going to solve everything, and it, it didn't solve everything, but look at what they say in verse 8. For young women of Jerusalem, I charge not stir up or awaken love until it's appropriate time. In other words, if you're struggling with feeling love, don't go try to find another love. You're betrothed. You've been given. Wait for him to tell you. Wait for him to bring the love of your life into your life. Then it says, who is coming up from the wilderness, leaning on the one she loves? Do you love Christ? Is he your love? Do you, do you lean in like this? Does your relationship with Christ reflect the intimacy? I'm not talking about the flesh. I'm not talking about the outward. We're talking about the inner man. We read a scripture that talked about that. The inner man, not the outer. See, we want to make everything sexual. Marriage wasn't designed to be sexual. It was designed to be intimate. And sex is a part of that intimacy. And whenever you don't do it how God says, you're breaking the intimacy God has designed you for. And you're stealing the intimacy that God has designed for someone else to have. With him and with a day when he's going to come up from, he's going to come back. He's going to call us back to himself and he is going to say, I love you and I've come and I'll make everything right and I've prepared a place for you and now I'm bringing, like, this is a picture. And I wish more churches and more talked like it was a picture like this. But unfortunately we don't. Why? Because it's really hard to attract people when you tell them to wait. But if you give people what they want, they'll vote for you. Tell them the truth and the reality of the world, I want nothing to do with that. 
And our God, throughout all of human history, has been telling us the truth of how much trouble we're in and how much love he has for us to deliver us from that trouble at the appropriate time. I don't know what you're struggling with this morning. I don't know if you're struggling through walking with him, having this intimacy with him, struggling in a relationship in your life, struggling with what, I don't know. But, but how about you seek him like this couple seeks one another instead of seeking all the other ways to solve it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and the opportunity to be Lord, I thank you that you don't shy away from the intimacy that we long for. I thank you that you took what we twisted, the sexual union of a male and a female and our bodies and our flesh, and you paid the price. You crucified your flesh to show us that you can redeem the flesh. You can make us right before you and that someday you will give us a new covering, a new body at the appropriate time. And the reason that you're waiting and you haven't given us every that we think we should have right now is because you want us to be your witnesses, to tell people about the longing that we have for your coming so that they might and long with us for your coming. Father, that's your heart. It's been your heart all along. And the people of your day, Jesus, when you were on this earth, missed you because they couldn't stand to be told, wait. Father, I pray that we would see that in waiting, there's a gift. There's a joy. There's a leaning that's beautiful. And so, Lord, I pray that there's anyone listening via online or even in this space who who just needs to surrender to you, needs to surrender maybe an issue. Maybe they know you. They're in a relationship. But like this woman, they don't want to be told no by you, but they're ready to accept no. And like this woman, say, hey, not until the appropriate time. I pray that they would lean into you for that. Father, I thank you that you just lay this out. You care enough about us to invite us into your family and to help us. You give us the Holy Spirit to create the longing in us for this kind of relationship. And we wait (laughs) expectantly for the day when we will be clothed and we will be one with you, rejoicing, at the beauty of who you are. In your name, amen.